join me for a moment of silence as we begin the sermon. This is the moment of silence. This is planned. How many of you feel your body temperature rising as you have to wait? Waiting for the text message waiting for your computer. Oh no, is this the moment? Is it crashing? Is it all over? Back in the day, you remember that noise, waiting for it to connect to the internet? Now the rainbow wheel, waiting and waiting and waiting, and you're exchanging text messages, and you get the three dots, and you're like, what are they going to say? Why are they thinking about it so much? Is this going to be good news or bad news? I can't wait. Would you hit send already? What are you going to say to me? Waiting is extremely hard, is it not? And it certainly isn't made easier by the world that we live in. Our entire culture is bent on trying to slow down our wait times. So much so that drive-through restaurants now have two lanes. Because it's not quick enough for you to just, you know, get in line and take 15 minutes to get your Chick-fil-A sandwich. You need to get through that thing in five minutes. And so two lanes, probably three lanes, maybe four lanes in the future. What you used to have to go to a library to find information on, you can now pull out your phone and get all the information in the world with one click or one, hey Siri. What you used to have to clip coupons for and go to the store to save, you can now get with Amazon subscribe and save. TED Talks, they base themselves on 18 to 20 minutes of a presentation because people don't have an attention span for longer than 18 to 20 minutes. Hurry up, we got things to do. Tell us what what we need to know and let me get on my way. Waiting is extremely hard. It's hard for mankind. Waiting has always been an issue for fallen mankind and it certainly hasn't gotten any easier. And so while our culture understands, you'll hear this phrase, patience is a virtue, it's something that is hard to find. And it's a culturally accepted virtue, but I want to come back to God's word this morning and see what God's word has to teach us about patience. James, the younger brother of Jesus, 2,000 years ago, to a culture completely different than ours, but people with similar sin issues, similar issues of impatience, similar issues of questioning God and wondering why God would allow certain things to happen, James writes and teaches them about patience. And I think we have a lot to learn from James about patience. So if you could stand with me this morning as we read James chapter 5, verses 7 through 12. James 5, 7 through 12. It's on page 1013 in the Pew Bible if you don't have your own Bible. If you don't have your own Bible, please take that Bible with you. We'd love for you to have a copy of God's Word. Let's see what the younger brother of Jesus has to write 2,000 years ago, which applies to us today. James chapter 5, verse 7. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. 
See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it, until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job and how you have, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. Above all, my brothers, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth or by any oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. Lord God, we pray that you would use this word today to meet us where we're at and to lead us to where you desire us to be, to where we need to be in the conscious awareness, awareness of your presence, which offers us pleasures forevermore and fullness of joy. Lord, grant us patience this morning as we wait for the sermon to end. Amen. You may have a seat. Well, the big idea for this text here, if I could summarize this text for us, is that Christian patience is the process of surrendering to God's purpose while trusting his promise. Christian patience is the process of surrendering to God's purpose while trusting his promise. And so we're going to walk through this text and walk through that statement and see what James has to teach you and I about patience. And it starts with Christian patience. I want to start right there by, by identifying that James here is talking about something different than the world will offer you. So we have this phrase, I already mentioned it, patience is a virtue, right? It doesn't take a Christian to admit that patience is a good thing to have, that patience is a virtue that mankind needs. Other religions teach patience, other worldviews teach patience, people desire to grow in patience, people know that patience is a good and needed virtue in the world. But there's something unique about Christian patience, about patience that the followers of God have, that the people of Jesus have. And James here is addressing Christians. He says, be patient, therefore, brothers. That's familial language. He's talking to the brothers and sisters of God in Christ. He's talking to the church. James is here writing a letter to the gathered people of God for their instruction. And so he's calling them out. He's saying this, this letter is addressed to Christians. The last two sections, he's been addressing potentially immature Christians. If you remember the end of James chapter 4, he talks about people who are proud with their plans and they think they can go to this town or that town and make a profit. They have assurance in their own plans. And he's saying, be careful. Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we'll go here and we'll go there. So it could be immature Christians or it could be non-believers in their church gathering that he's calling out. And then at the beginning of chapter 5, he says, Come now, you rich. We talked about that last week. Who is that? It may be immature Christians who don't know how to use their money. It may be non-believers who are a part of the church fellowship that he's addressing. But specifically here now, in this, in this middle section of chapter 5, he's addressing his brothers and sisters in Christ. He's saying, Be patient, therefore, brothers. Be patient. And key, he says, Until the coming of the Lord. See, that's a piece of the uniqueness of Christian patience. We're not simply waiting for our computer to connect to the internet. We're not simply waiting for the red light to turn green. We're not simply waiting for our investments to double and to grow. 
We're not simply waiting for that job offer. We're not simply waiting for the spouse. We're not simply waiting for our kids to do something for us or to listen to us. That's a piece of patience, right? Patience has these daily things that test us. But James is talking about something much deeper, a deeper foundation of patience. He's talking about the return of the Lord. He says, be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. And so that's the foundation for Christian patience. If you long to have patience in the small things of life, in the waiting, in the waiting for the returned email, and in waiting to get the answer that you've been looking for, I mean, again, we live in this super efficient culture where we want everything to be done here and now. Let's speed up the process. Don't waste my time. I don't have time to waste. And James here is saying, there's something deeper at play that the brothers and sisters of Christ in God are called to patiently wait for the coming of the Lord. And so we need to wrestle with, for one, you need to know that you can be impatient with the little things in life, but then in the deep, big things, have patience. And I I think that's actually a win. Like if you find yourself bubbling up and getting frustrated on the the road, if you're a road road rage person because people in front of you are slower, if you're the type who like, when you hear that dial-up tone or the rainbow wheel, you want to slam your computer and yell at it. I was reading some studies this week actually that that, um, in 6.7 million people viewed online that they would click away from a video if it took more than two seconds to load. One 1,000, two 1,000. I don't have time for this. Close down and open up a new window. And that's, that's how we react in our culture. And I want you to know, church, that, that if you struggle with impatience in that, you can still have this deeper, meaningful Christian patience. He says, be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. He's not talking about the small, petty patience. But I do want you to know that if you can't have patience in the little things, it's likely harder that you're going to have patience in waiting for the coming of the Lord. If you can't wait for a day to get that toy that you've always wanted. If you make your parents stop at Target on their way to the bonfire last night because you need that toy here and now. (laughs) That was our case. Sorry, kids, I always use it as examples. It's going to be harder to trust God and to patiently wait for the big things. But that's ultimately what James is getting at here. He's addressing the big things, and he's saying Christian patience, this unique patience, is the process of surrendering to God's purpose while trusting his promise. And so first note is just Christian patience. It's unique. It's nothing that the world has. The world can learn the virtue of patiently waiting for little things to come to fruition, for little things to happen, but the world doesn't have the ability to patiently surrender to the purpose of God and trusting his promises. That's unique to believers. That's unique to the people of God. And so that's Christian patience. And what it is, is it's the process of surrendering to God's purpose. The process of surrendering to God's purpose. James compares the process of growing in patience to that of a farmer. Something that most of us know little about. We don't live in an agricultural society or an agricultural city. Right? You want groceries? You go to the store and you get it now. In fact, right now, as I'm preaching, you could go on your phone, order your groceries, and they'll be delivered to your house. You get home and groceries are on your doorstep. 
And so this is so far removed from our culture, but in their culture, it was an agricultural society. And so James is saying, be patient, therefore, brothers, verse 7, until the coming of the Lord. That's the ultimate patience. We're going to talk more about that at the end. But he says, see how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. See, there's this process in life in the Christian life, where we must learn to surrender to God's purposes, surrender to what God is doing in and around us and through us. And James here is using this this agricultural imagery. He's saying the farmer can't control the elements. The farmer has no control over the season. The farmer can till the soil, the farmer can plant the seeds, and the farmer can water the seeds. And Back then, they didn't, they didn't even have like the irrigation systems on farms that we have today. They were very dependent on the elements. And so he's saying the, the farmer can, can do something, but the farmer has no control over the elements. See how the farmer waits. They till the soil, they plant the seed, and they wait, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. Love in his book, Traveling Light, Eugene Peterson says, the person who looks for quick results in the seed planting of well-doing will be disappointed. And I love how he says the seed planting of well-doing because most of us aren't farmers. But we want quick results from the the good things that we do. We want to do good things so that we get quick results. We want to be efficient with our time, be efficient with our systems, be efficient with our money, be efficient with our workout, be efficient with our investments so that there would be a quick Return. He says, the person who looks for quick results in the seed planting of well-doing will be disappointed. If I want potatoes for dinner tomorrow, it will do me little good to go out and plant potatoes in my garden tonight. Again, that was before Instacart. But get the point. It'll do me little good to plant potatoes today if I want them tomorrow. There are long stretches of darkness and invisibility and silence that separate planting and reaping. During the stretches of waiting, there is cultivating and weeding and nurturing and planting still other seeds. And that's what James is getting at, that the Christian life, and as we learn patience and grow in patience as followers of Christ, it's this process where we over and over and over again, day in and day out, situation and situation, we surrender to God. We're learning to trust him. We're learning what he's doing. We're giving up control and we're discovering his purposes in our life. The process of our growth in patience as Christ followers is to surrender. To God, I can't control the outcome. Just like the farmer can't can't cause it to rain, neither can I produce the results that I want. Paul Trip says that God will take you where you never intended to go to produce in you what you never could on your own. One of my favorite quotes to keep in mind. That God will allow things, he will allow seasons in my life, seasons of drought and seasons of rain to produce in me fruit that I could never produce on my own. And I just have to wait the season out. Sometimes we're in seasons of suffering, and that's what James is getting at here, that there's, there's seasons of suffering. He talks about suffering in this text and enduring, and, and you cannot speed those seasons up. 
because you simply want to get out of pain and suffering. James is teaching us that God allows these things to produce in us Christ-likeness, to make us more like Jesus, to help us to understand God's purposes as we ultimately trust his promises. Proverbs 16.9 says, Man plans his ways, but the Lord directs his steps. And so we wait, we're patient, we surrender to God's purpose. It's this lifelong process of learning to trust God. We can't control the seasons, just like the farmer can't control the seasons. So church family, patience requires weathering the seasons. We're all in different seasons of life right now. For some of us, it's a hard, heavy season of lament and depression and questioning and, 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 and burden and apathy and burnout and just, God, where are you? That's what's amazing about the Psalms. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The psalmist says. God, why are you so far off from me? God, why don't you hear my cries? Why don't you hear my prayers? That's a season that some of you may be in. A season of drought. And in our flesh, we want to speed it up. We want to get out of that season. And God may have you in that season to produce in you something that a springtime or a summer never would. Some of you are in summer. Things are going great. Your walk with the Lord is strong. He's coming through. You, you feel like you're abiding in him and praise God for that season. But seasons come and seasons go. We have no control over them. James does give us a couple things that we have control over. We can't control the seasons, but we can control things like planting and tilling and watering, and he gives us a few specific things we can control. We can control whether or not we grumble in any particular season. So verse 7 and 8, he's telling us to be patient. Be patient like the farmer. Be patient like the farmer. Learn to surrender to God in this process. And then in verse 9, he says, Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. So you have no control over the season of life that you're in. Well, you have little control over the season of life that you're in. You have little control over the fruit that is being produced and how God is choosing to produce that fruit in your life. But you have control over, you how, over how you respond to the drought or to the springtime growth or the falltime harvest. And that's to not grumble. Why does James put that in there, verse 9? He's talking about patience. Using the farmer as the imagery. And then verse 9, he says, Do not grumble against one another. Well, because when do we tend to grumble? When things are slow. When we have to wait. When we don't get things our way. When other people are annoying us. When other people aren't doing what we think they ought to be doing. That causes us to be impatient, right? Is most of your impatience with yourself or with others? Likely it's with others. And then as you start to realize your own impatience with others, then you start to get impatient with yourself. God, change me. God, fix me. God, grow me. And so here, James is teaching us, you can't control other people. You can't control the seasons, but you can control your attitude in the seasons. You can control your reactions towards other people in the seasons. Do not grumble. Do not grumble against one another. We can control that. Secondly, we can control our attitude. Verse 10, he says, as an example of suffering and patience... See, this is the process of learning to surrender to God's purposes, that he will bring us through seasons of suffering for his glory, for our own good, and the advancement of his gospel. 
And James says, as an example of suffering and patience, when you're in suffering, it requires patience. He says, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You want to be blessed by God? Remain steadfast in suffering, steadfast in trial, steadfast in affliction. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job. And again, the Old Testament figure of Job. He's saying, remember his suffering, remember his trial, remember his season. He had to patiently walk through loss. And he was steadfast. And you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. And so we can control whether we grumble or not in seasons of trial, whether we grumble or not against people who test our patience. We can control our attitude in suffering. That's what he's getting at in verse 10 and 11 here. Consider these prophets, these examples, these people who continue to live their life for the good news, who continue to proclaim God's truth in spite of suffering. You choose your attitude in suffering. Do you, do you bury your head and hide away from the world? Or do you continue to do what's right? Do you continue to proclaim God's truth? Do you continue to follow him? And then thirdly, we can control what we remember or what we think about or what we dwell on. Look at verse 11. He says, Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. So in times of trial, in times of your patience being tested, you can control whether or not you look around at people who have easier lives and it seems like things are going better for them, things are going quicker, things are happening for them. You can, you, you can look around and envy them or grumble against them or you can consider those examples, people who have remain steadfast in trial. And you can imitate their faith, as Hebrews says. Behold, we consider those who remain steadfast. You've heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. So we can choose how we respond when our patience is tested. Look around to people who have demonstrated godly patience in the midst of suffering, in the midst of trial, and then ultimately look to Jesus. Look to God's compassion and mercy poured out in the person and work of Jesus. That though you may be in a season of suffering and trial that's requiring patience of you, we look to who God is. We, we learn to surrender to his purpose. What is his purpose for causing this trial in my life? What is this purpose that, that this thing that I've been praying about for so long hasn't come to fruition yet? Well, the purpose of the Lord is that you would experience his compassion and his mercy. That he would produce in you a dependence upon him. And then lastly and most importantly, the entire premise that James is setting up here is that in the midst of trial, in the midst of suffering, in the midst of our patience being tested, the ultimate thing that Christians do, the ultimate way to practice Christian patience is to remember God's faithfulness. It's to trust his promise. I say promise singularly here in this statement because God has many promises for us, right? I mean, Scripture is full of promises of the Lord that we can cling to and that we can claim and that we can hold to and that we can trust. But there's an ultimate promise here that should guide all of the Christian life and an ultimate promise here that James keeps pointing the followers back to. 
It's the promise that Jesus will return. He says in verse 7, Be patient, therefore, brothers, not until you get the answer to your prayer, not until you get out of the season of suffering, not until the, 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 the fleshly, worldly thing that's causing impatience in you is resolved. He says, be patient, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. Verse 8, he says, you be patient, establish your hearts. What a great phrase. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. This is the ultimate act of Christian patience is to remember that regardless of what we walk through, regardless of our trials, regardless of our circumstances, regardless of our suffering, there is a better day coming and we can be patient. We can learn to surrender to God's purposes for our life, what he allows in our life, what he ordains in our life, because he has promised to return, to return church. James is saying you can endure. Some of you lost a spouse years ago. And you've been practicing patience as you actually long to go home to heaven, to be with Jesus and to see your spouse. Be patient because the Lord is coming. Some of you long to find a spouse and you've been trying and it's not working and some of you want to be pregnant and there's hundreds of people in our church seemingly having babies and every week you come to church and you hear about another baby and you're like, I just want to be married or we're struggling with infertility and we're praying and we're praying and, and God, would you do this for us? And ultimately, you need to remember that your patience is found in the fact that Jesus is coming back, that this world is not your home, that your struggles and your trials and the things that you go through here and now are not ultimate. God is using that to produce in you this reminder that you were created for something more and you have an ultimate future. James says, be patient because the Lord is at hand. This animated the early church. Everything that they did, their lives were guided by this fact Jesus could come back at any moment. None of my life pursuits matter in comparison to the return of Jesus Christ or when he calls me home. Because he's promised. Jesus himself promised to return. And so let's look at a few of these promises as we close down this morning. As we long to grow in patience, we need to trust this promise that Jesus will return. We need to take a page out of the early church. And live our lives as though everything else that we do, every pursuit that we have, everything that happens to us pales in comparison to this promise being fulfilled that Jesus will return. And so look at James, John chapter 14, verses 1 through 3 with me. John 14, 1 through 3. Jesus himself speaking to the disciples. He says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and I prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. You see that promise there? That promise is what the early church was animated by. That's what James, the younger brother of Jesus, was animated by, what he lived by, that Jesus promised that he will bring me home. Many of us, 2,000 years removed, we kind of get stuck on this verse about my father's house has many rooms. Some of you grew up listening to Audio Adrenaline. It's a big, big house with lots and lots of rooms. 
a big, big yard where we can play football. You remember that? A few of you put your hands up, so I know I'm not alone. All right. So, like, we, like, so, so often our, our Christian subculture, like, will even look forward to heaven and to glory with, oh, there's going to be a mansion. There's going to be gold streets. I want to play football with Jesus and my best friends. And that's not what Jesus was getting at. That may all be true. That may all be icing on the cake for heaven, but that is not the goal of heaven. The goal of heaven is not that you would see your friends, not that you would see your spouse, not that you would enjoy a big mansion, not that you would walk on golden streets. The joy of heaven is that you are in the presence of Christ. That's what animated the first church. He says, verse 3, And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. That's the goal. That's the key. We grow in patience. We grow in patience as we remember that there's this greater day coming when we will be reunited with Christ. We will be in his presence. Look at Matthew 26. Matthew 26 um, on page 832 in the Pew Bible. Matthew 26, verse 26 through 29. This is Jesus instituting the Lord's Supper. And so we're going to take communion in just a minute. And keep this in mind as we prepare to take communion. It says, Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, he broke it, and he gave it to his disciples. And he said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of this, all of you, for this is my blood, the blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. You see that promise? Jesus is saying, there will come a day when you and I drink and eat together. That's how you find patience in life. Saying, there is a greater day, a glorious day coming when I will be with Jesus and I will fellowship with him. We will eat and drink together. Amen? That's so much better than waiting for your Amazon order to, to show up on the front doorstep and you're getting impatient. Next time you're impatient, just remember, I have a feast planned for me in eternal glory. That ought to animate my thoughts. That ought to, that ought to fill what I live for. That this world is not my home. I'm merely passing through, but I have a greater day. And this is Jesus' promise to the disciples. It's what animated James as he wrote, Be patient, brothers, until the coming of the Lord, because Jesus had promised. I tell you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine until I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And then flip, lastly, to Revelation 19. And to see this day. To plan for this day. To patiently, see, we're patient in our life circumstances as we eagerly await glory. Right? We need patience here and now because here and now is not what we were created for. Here and now is preparing us for then and there. It's a preparing us for eternal glory. Look at Revelation 19, 6 through 10. John has this vision. He says, Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. 
Let us rejoice and exalt and give him glory for the marriage supper of the Lamb has come. The marriage supper of the Lamb is that meal that Jesus says he's going to abstain from food and wine until we're with him. For the marriage supper of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these words are true words of God. Then I fell down at his feet to worship him. But he said, you must, do that. You must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brother who holds the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. And so church family, this morning, I invite you to remember the promise. To cling to the promise that Jesus will return. You can patiently endure anything this life throws at you if you keep in mind, if you keep front and center that Jesus gave his life for me, that his body was broken and his blood was shed for me, and that as he ate this meal with the disciples, he promised them, I will come and I will eat with you in this new heavenly kingdom. And anybody whose name is written in the book of life, who's been invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb, I will do the same with. So this morning, the band's going to come up and, and lead us out in songs of gospel reminder and take communion when you feel led and ready as you remember that Jesus will return. That is the power for you to patiently endure. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. We thank you for this word. We thank you that your brother listened and that upon your resurrection he believed and then he instructed the church 2,000 years ago and his instruction 2,000 years ago has application for us today. Jesus, we thank you for living a perfect life, for dying a sacrificial death, for overcoming sin and death in the grave in our place on our behalf. So we eat this bread and we drink this cup today in memory of you. And may you animate us to live for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.